Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Hey, Jason, did you know that Budget Blinds of Lee Summit is the home for signature series shades? All hail those robot shade overlords. You know, if you are ready to make your home a smart home, this is the place to go. And Jason, why don't you give us a couple of reasons why this is a good idea? Well, first of all, you get like a cool app and you can like fiddle with it from your phone. But honestly, in, a, in the bigger and more important things, it, you can well, program it your get better than being able to do stuff from your phone. Well, look, as, as, a, as a guy who likes tech toys, that's all I really need. But, but for like real reasons that you can sell to say the wise and the people who already would make your home a smart home if you weren't in it like my wife and other people um, that you can program your shades to go up or down to give you security uh, so that they can be down at times when you want them down and you don't have to remember that. And they can give you some additional energy efficiency by helping keep your home warm or cool, depending on what you desire. So efficiency and safety, two big reasons why you would want signature series shades. I'm going to throw in one more reasons. Go for it. OCR friends of budget blinds. When you go in there, tell our good buddy, Courtney Stoddard, tell her happy birthday. Today, actually, today we're recording, yesterday is her birthday. So happy birthday to Courtney Stoddard. Go on down and see our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of Lee Summit in downtown. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. Jason, today's episode is also brought to us by Feed Lee Summit. Feed Lee Summit is sponsored by the Sunrise Rotary Club. This is the second annual event that benefits Lee Summit Social Services, One Good Meal, Meals on Wheels, and Cold Water of Lee Summit. They've got a big, big goal this year. It is, it is very, very ambitious, but I think this community can come together and get that and help them raise and I want you to say it with me. You could even do the Dr. Evil Pinky, $100,000. And that's a big needed $100,000, folks. This goes to help those four agencies help feed people in our community who need it, who need a little help. So this year, it's a virtual event. It's going to be November, 7th, or November 12th at 7 p.m. Head to feedls.org to register and get all of the details and help all these, all these agencies keep our community as great as it is. Hello again and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who just loves himself a panel discussion. <laughs> it's true. It is, it is I Nick do. Parker, the publisher of Link Disney Summit. Or excuse me, he'll say a, a group conversation. As, as, the, uh, as the thing is that I was, do like that word better but yeah to me that's uh, when you're getting big topics almost nothing better and and Jason this week we finally got to the was, big yeah, topic I just it was a tease I just teased to the rest of the show right there yeah, tease. link to Lee Summit as always is the source for all the news you need about our very fine city and our unofficial sponsor today is literally the worst sponsor we've ever had in our unofficial sponsor category and that's the coronavirus it ruins everything yeah that's true there are words i would like to use but this is a family show so i'm not going to use them on air 
So we're recording this introduction, uh, this segment here on Tuesday night. I just uh, got back home. I had to attend a portion of the city council meeting. Nick was on TV. It was the first time I'd been inside council chambers since before, uh, you know, the sky fell. The before times. The before times. And it's weird, man. Like, you know, 85% of the chairs are gone. There was nobody there. I think I was the only non-staff or elected official in the room. It was weird. Yeah, that would be weird. Uh, the reason I was there was not weird. It was cool. Uh, you've heard us talking a little bit about um, the Arts and Culture Week here in Lee Summit. So the mayor gave a proclamation. And in my role as chair of the Arts Council, I got to accept that proclamation. That's, that's really cool. This is a neat, neat event that started on the 9th and runs through the 18th celebrating all of the arts that we have going on in our community and if you don't know jason there's a lot there's a lot of stuff in our community when you start tallying that up it gets a, that list gets long pretty quick so so this is the thing and look it's, it's weird you know a lot there were some virtual events there were some little mini events i mean obviously we couldn't do the big things that that we wanted to have happen when we kicked off this thing for the first time but this is really setting the table i think for what's going to be an annual celebration of performance and cultural arts happening in our community so i can't wait to do this again next year but i'm just going to say this very clearly once again another event smashed around by the coronavirus <laughs> wear your dang masks people let's make it better <laughs> so we can have these events so we can do all the fun stuff that we used to do and like get to hang out together and i'm just yeah uh, i'm so tired of this but it, it on the marches hey well nick lead us on well, Jason, as you alluded to earlier, uh, we had a panel conversation for this week. Uh, we recorded it on Friday. This is one that we have been wanting to do for quite a while. As everybody knows, there was a big dis community discussion around the school district's equity plan and the equity training and the consultant that they hired and embroiled in all of that was the... Um, can I say nicely the the parting of ways with the former superintendent? But we wanted to have a conversation that included the school district. It included the the consultant that was hired to lead this training. And we finally, Jason, we finally got to get it on the calendar. And we had this on Friday. So we have we have we you have got the most important piece of this whole deal. Well, not student. well, right. I was I was getting there. I was kind of building oh, okay. up to it. But also included that, that I think that really what made this conversation work, though, is that we pulled in a student, a Lee Summit West senior, Shadara Okafor, and she joined us and it added just that one extra little perspective, Jason, that really let us delve into some things and why this kind of training is happening and how it's going to help the, the school district. It was, I will say this and not, you know, and this is not modestly, uh, uh, immodest in any way because I don't think I, you know, made the biggest difference in this whole interview process. But it was one of the, it's one of the best interviews that we've had, one of the best discussions that we've had. Um, and I'm very happy to have this and, and put it out here for everybody to go. And that's all the teasing we're gonna get. We're gonna, we're gonna have a short break, just a little bit of music, and then we will go on with that conversation. Christy Barger, the Assistant Superintendent of Equity and Student Services 
along with Phil Hunsberger from Educational Equity Consultants and Shadara Okafor, a senior at Lisa West, are all joining Jason and I right now. This is one, uh, this is a conversation Jason and I have wanted to have for a while, but this is our kind of our catch up and what's going on with the school district's equity plan and some of the equity and diversity training that's been going on for over a year now. And so, so thank you guys. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. All right. So just to, to recap for our listeners, um, I, I, we have may have mentioned this once or twice on the podcast, but there, uh, the district hired, uh, educational equity consultants and Phil, um, to do some equity training, um, and, and such for the district over the last course of the year, there was, uh, I'll politely put it, some turbulence uh, in that process that that led into that, and and we have been chasing this uh, this discussion that we're going to have here today for over a year, uh, Nick and I, and we've we've been good and not yelled at anyone out loud on the podcast, but this is a conversation we very 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 much wanted to have. We're always so good. Uh, that with that as sort of a background, um, I'm going to start with Phil. What have you been doing with the district for the last year? <laughs> well, that's, that's an excellent question. Well, as you already indicated, it was uh, our entry into Lee's Summit was a bit awkward, but it has been a delight to be in Lee's Summit for this past year. Um, our programs started really about 20 years ago, um, working with school districts in the St. Louis area and Kansas City and Chicago. So we've been at this work for quite some time. And one of the things we believe very strongly about this kind of work around equity, it is both a personal as well, a, as, well as a professional journey. And in that sense, um, our, our desire is to create a place of safe, a safe environment for people to struggle, because it is a struggle, to try to understand oppressions, in particular racism. And so our work is about stance, how we walk in the world, and as well, what do we do in the world? How do we do our jobs? So last year, when we started with Lee Summit, we started having that kind of discussion and that kind of challenge for us to really understand each other fully, as well as what does that mean for our task and the jobs that we do in a school district. We worked with administrators, all of the building principals. We have worked now with all of the assistant principals, we had two sessions of what we call Just Schools. That's a program for educators, for teachers. Um, and we had two sessions of that that involved, Chris, you might correct me here, about 60 people, approximately yes, 60 total people. about 60 people. We uh, worked with the school board in about three different sessions uh, and we'll continue that. And we worked with students last year as well. Um, we also had a couple of parent programs, community programs. So we approach this work for the standpoint that if we're going to address issues of equity, we're gonna be touching every stakeholder within a school district. We're not simply talking about teachers, we're talking about teachers and students and parents and administrators, and even to the point of those who drive a bus or those who prepare meals for children. Uh, so the work is very comprehensive, uh, the work is really focused upon understanding how we've all been socialized and how that socialization has caused us to behave in certain ways because of how we see others and how we see ourselves. That's the personal journey. And then the next step 
is what does this mean instruct, for instruction? Um, school districts are married very much to achievement gaps and achievement data, and they should be. At the same time, we should have the same effort to involve ourselves with the engagement gap. How it is children engage in school? What is the sense of belonging in a school for all of our children so that they can engage fully in terms of their own academic success? So that's a very short explanation of the work that we do and the work we have begun in Lee Summit in the past year. Um, and Chrissy or Chidera, I hope I pronounced your name right. Um, the two of you add to that. You're certainly, Christy, you're familiar with the work we've been doing. And Chidera, you might have some sense of it as well. Um, so please, by all means, I'm, I invite your voice into that as well. Chris, yeah, uh, well, yeah, go ahead, Christy, please. No, please, Jason. Let's I, well, I was going to say that that was, if that's the short description of what you've been doing for the last <laughs> year, uh, I guess we need to tune in for the like 90 minute webinar over what you've actually, <laughs> like the more detailed instruction as we, as we go through that. Well, let me ask this question. So that's a lot of stuff to try to do in a year. Um, and I know that when, when you were initially brought on board, it was a, a one-year thing with options to continue. And obviously that the option has been picked up and, and this work is continuing. Well, Christy, maybe you can you can tackle this from a from a district end of things. Like, what what are what differences are we seeing? Or I guess, like, actually, let me ask this a, a completely and utterly different way. What are some areas where you think the district has you've identified some some weak spots or areas really that that are are ripe for growth? I'll use I'll use consultant speak here uh, for uh, for the district as we've gone through this year's process. Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's interesting because I think some of it comes back to that idea of stance and strategy, right? Um, we know that probably the biggest amount of growth that I have seen is the, the, the thoughtfulness and reflectiveness in terms of, of personal stance about potential bias or implicit bias that we, we may have and not have given thought to. So I have administrators, teachers saying, you know, Yes, I've never thought about it like that, and now I've thought about it. So this reflective process of who I am and what I bring into the world and what I might have brought into a situation that, that wasn't intentional but was a result of implicitness. So essentially that idea of we've gone through that stance portion where we've been very reflective about self and you know how of that um, the cognizant part of our brain may be, may be thinking and acting in one way, but sometimes some of that bias that we are saturated with or is raining down upon us essentially in life, you know, might, might be impacting things in a way that we didn't even realize was happening. So we look at that from an individual standpoint, and I think I've seen huge growth in individuals who are also out seeking out more reflection about that, seeking out reflection as it relates to um, students who come to us with different um, needs, different sense of belonging. But your question in terms of uh, that low-hanging fruit, if you will, or, or things that might be easily remedied or that we might be able to work with initially. The very first thing that we begin working with um, that is, again, seems small but has been very impactful is we created a bank of resources for school administrators to learn and share as it relates to different equity topics to supplement what EEC is providing. So we have a folder in our Schoology system, our 
familiar with Schoology now that we're in our, our hybrid or our virtual learning, where the administrators are in a group and there are folders with resources on race and religion and gender and um, physical disability and all sorts of topics for them to access new and relevant learning about it as well as strategies to use within their classroom. So that's been positive. We um, are sending out periodically, or I am sending out periodically emails um, ahead of major holidays and or events to have some conversations about as we approach Thanksgiving, how do we do so in a way that is reflective and honors our indigenous people as well. Actually one just went out uh, last evening as we approach um, the federal holiday of Columbus Day that in some states is recognized as indigenous people's day um, and just strategies. And what I try to do in those emails is provide um, a little bit of background, a little bit of new learning, and some classroom strategies that could be utilized if a school so chose. From a data perspective, we know that there is achievement gap data. Phil referenced, um, would you call that opportunity gap? Is that what you called it? I call engagement it engage, gap. Engage, engagement yeah. gap. I would say that it is also a belonging gap. Um, we know that true deep sense of belonging is um, on, on Maslow and on Bloom, what is necessary before we can fully be our whole selves with learning. And one of the things that I think we really engage with is how that we ensure that no matter what a child or a parent or a teacher or a staff member or a community member comes into our school doors with, that we're really looking at it through a sense of how do we ensure that they have deep belonging and deep access. Um, you know, for a long time in society in general, we've said, well, you have access, um, but are you only getting access in exchange for belonging? You have to give something up to have access. And so we're having the conversation now about, um, all right, if we really want everyone to have a sense of belonging, how do we meet them for exactly who they are and allow them to be exactly who they are? So that's some of the extension work. I mean, there's lots of other things, curriculum review, resource review. Uh, we're developing some learning targets for our adults so that all of the adults in the district can be expected to have worked their way through equity-based or social justice-based learning targets collectively through professional development so that you know, EEC is here. We're glad they're here. We hope to have them here for a while. Um, but no matter how great a consultant is, eventually the consultant goes. And we have to be able to sustain the work. And so we hope to be able to sustain that work through um, learning targets for our adults around professional learning and equity. So there's a I'm I'm going to bring in uh, uh, Shadera in on this one. And, and I'm going to set, set this up a little bit, Shadera, before I ask you your question. Um, so I have worked with Chidera in the past on a, a team podcast here in the community where they are talking of, about social and emotional issues um, for, from the perspective of their generation. It's, it's, it's their show. I just push the record button and they do the rest. Um, Chidera is also a, a person of color in the district. She is, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just told me this one, Chidera, in your last episode that you're, you and your siblings are the first generation of your family here in the States, that your parents yeah. are immigrants. Students are the, the ultimate, like that's, that's our, you know, who the district really wants. This is all about them, right? So, so Chidera, you've heard a lot of consultant talk. You've heard a lot of from 30,000 feet, here's what we're doing with equity. As a student, as a senior at least Summit West, what does all this mean to you? What do you, what do you get out of what you just heard? Um, I think I've gotten that people actually care. That's the main thing, that people are actually trying to advocate for something and really trying to 
implement this into our um, school district. I think it, obviously we can't really measure, well, we can measure progress here, but I think it starts from just seeing changes at school and that's where it comes into how are we measuring, how we see the change in progress with school. Even though we're showing these teachers that they have implicit bias, how is that going to really, are those teachers really implementing that in the school? That's the main thing. But I think, cause you know, I am in a part of Harmony Council at my school and we usually have like monthly seminars where we go and we invite teachers to come and talk to us in the Bateman Hall in our school. And I've noticed that um, teachers do come and talk and we have started a conversation at least in the West. So I think that that is even a big step in itself to see that teachers are out and having these conversations with students as well as themselves. So Chidere, let me, I want to follow up. Uh, Christy raised the, and, and Phil as well raised the, sen- uh, talking about a sense of belonging to that. And, you know, I know that you, you've mentioned some of this in, in your, in your, on your, uh, the student podcast that you did, but can you talk a little bit about how, you know, your sense of belonging, I mean, and, and not just you, but, but, you know, extrapolate for other people who might be uh, in the same, but talk a little bit about how that sense of belonging matters in your in your educational experience i mean where does that that fit for you you are obviously a person who's hosting a podcast fairly self-actualized and a person who will take a lot of that for themselves but you've probably had to do a lot more work at it than a lot of other students so talk a little bit about it can you can you relate some of that for us relate some of my well talking about how you have developed or how much like the work you've had to do to, to create that sense of belonging, which you, I think, have, or at least to some extent, have created by, by really getting ownership of your, your educational experience, but how that matters to you and maybe how you've had to develop that. Does that so, make sense? Kind of. Like, okay, well, that's as close as I could ever hope to get. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I first I went to kindergarten in a school district in Kansas City, and then I moved to Lee Summit in first grade. So obviously just that whole transition was kind of rough for me. I would say in the beginning of my educational career, I did not have really a sense of belonging with anyone because no one really looked like me in any of my schools. So, you know, that obviously it's like you're going to a big institution that's going to have a major impact on your life, but you're seeing no one that represents you at all. So it's like, am I even supposed to be here? You're questioning yourself. But I would say I have developed a sense of belonging within my school and um, the institution as a whole because as I've gotten older I get to see even Michelle Obama just people like that who have gone really far in their education and that you can really be anything that you want you find a sense of belonging within people who have common interests and goals as you in their education and that's something I've been practicing. Awesome. Thank you. That, that was a great answer to a question I may be asked, and that was exactly correct. So. <laughs> you know, can, I, can I add? To Absolutely. What, jump in. Well, um, obviously, there's a podcast, so you're not actually going to do it. But Jason and Nick, if I ask you to write down five attributes of who you are, just write them down. You don't have to actually do this. This is an activity I do with adults. Write down five attributes about who you are. So you write those things down, and now I say to you, eliminate one. Now you're going to have to think about, whom, what am I going to eliminate? And then I'll ask you again, eliminate a second one. And um, you're going to have to think through that. Now what do I eliminate now? And then I ask, eliminate a third. Now by the time I get to the third uh, elimination, 
Yeah, I feel like I'd be a little, I'm going to get a little testy at that point. <laughs> yeah, at that point, people are getting a little testy. They do. Um, there's some grumpiness in the room there, at that there's point. There's some grumpiness. It's happened. Um, uh, and if I go to the fourth one, I'll probably have a revolt in my room, which I'm not really interested in. But the point I tried to make. That's the difference between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> the point I tried to make, which Chidera is really saying, is for Chidera or any other student, to feel a really strong sense of belonging about who they are. They shouldn't have to give up any part of who they are. And so that's the kind of work we're trying to move forward, that every child arrives in school with a mosaic of who they are. Um, they shouldn't have to give any parts of that mosaic up. And that's the stance part of the work, because as Chidera mentioned, it's how teachers see our students how we each see all of our students in all of their diversity, which is their strength. That's not a weakness, that's a strength. So Chidera, I hope you didn't mind me kind of adding to that, even without doing the, even without doing the activity. <laughs> Let me ask you real quick, Chidera, there, there was some, they, they just mentioned earlier that there was some, some student work done through, did you take part in that by chance? Were you a part of any of those student groups? Um, for like Harmony Council? For the, for what, for what Phil is doing with the consulting. Were you a part of any of those student groups that he mentioned? No. Okay. No, I, 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 I was just, I was just curious. I want to, excuse me, Nick, I'm going to. Sure. Tadera, we have like three days of student programs. I hope I see you in one of those. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, I'm we've got some plans this year for students. We're so. volunteering Chidera to do it. There we go. That's fantastic. Okay. So this oh, is funny. this is your first lesson in adulthood. You just got voluntold. <laughs> <laughs> no, we absolutely would love to have her, and we're we're actually starting um, the first of the three groups. I'm going to get dates wrong. Early first week in December, I think. I don't know right. the exact date. So um, that won't be you because that's going to be on a Friday. And what we're going to do, um, if we happen to still be in hybrid at that point, we're going to try to make sure that we're using kids who are in the first half of the alphabet for that one so that they're not missing in-person days. They'll miss a virtual day, but then we will do with the future ones, the second half of the alphabet. And I absolutely, if you are interested, you can let us know and we'll get you into the list. I will not volunteer you, but... <laughs> I hope to see you today. I think your voice would be wonderful in that group. I want to give you a similar question, Shadara, that, that Jason gave Christy. And, and, and without doing, you know, anything specific, but if you were to look at the district from your perspective as a student, are there some conversations that you think need to be had in the district? Are there, are there some areas of, of improvement that you would like to see tackled? One area of improvement I would really love to see is just more representation within teachers. And I know that's a touchy subject for a lot of adults to have, but I think if you're learning like your entire life from people who don't look like you, it is, it's not, it's just like you can't really relate to them. And I think just a level of relatability is necessary for any aspect of your life. Okay. I love we, to hear that. I have never had a um, um, teacher of color my entire life. It's always been a white male or female. So I think that that has impacted me in a way where I just can't really relate to my teachers on that aspect. And I think that if we were to have more teachers of color, that that could, it could benefit us for sure. 
and students just to be able to you can connect with your teacher on a different level and i think that that's a problem that not many people think about because it's like okay all i'm white all my teachers are white but if it was reversed it'd be like kind of odd if you just went to a school and all of your teachers were black out of nowhere like i think that would be odd for some people to really understand or to go through yeah Chidera, i think there was a, a thing that ran around on facebook several months ago it was like what, what in what grade were you when you had your first teacher of color and i believe i was a law student by the time that happened to me so i i mean i get you i think that's a that's a huge thing and it it, it i think it works in the other direction as well right is to have if a a white person has teachers of color they are you know you get benefit in those doses of times when you get the people who you don't have exactly those same same experiences with because you share you gain that experience that that other person has so i mean there's right. there's benefit on on both sides of that coin so i, I thank you that's awesome so and i know that's uh changing your or really upheaving your uh the the color of the pool of your applicants and your teachers is an easy and overnight thing to do right christy so yeah and actually i'm so <laughs> glad to hear you say that that is is one of the goals you'd like to see happen because it's certainly one of the goals in the equity plan um but you're right it, it is not easy and, and to some degree you you said it well right you said it's hard to relate to those teachers and then so for some then it is hard to decide to become a teacher right um and and so of applicant pool and even those who are who are graduating one of the things that we're um, working through right now dr buck is working um pretty closely um really right now um in um kind of a grow your own development meaning where we work with our students um like you um who may think they might want to be an educator um, and help provide some path to do that. And, and those details are still in the works, so I won't get ahead of that. But that's one way to do it, is that we can say, hey, we wanna see you back here in four years as one of our educators. And how do we support you in the four years in the interim when you're not here as a student, but before we want to have you back? Um, you know, where do we go and recruit? Are we looking at historically back black colleges and universities? And how many are interested in coming? And what are our recruiting practices? Because absolutely, um, we all benefit when our staff mirrors our student body um, for a number of reasons, both our students and, and each other, because we all benefit when we're, when we're a tapestry of diversity um, for that very reason that Jason was mentioning. We learn from one another and we no longer otherize each other because we're all one part of the same community. You know, gentlemen, I, I mentioned, and we had mentioned before that our work is about stance and strategy. And of course, I, I share with you a little bit of the work around that personal development. Uh, strategically, as Chidera says, uh, we need to be able to operate in schools where there are mirrors and windows. This is an activity that we do with instruction and teachers. Um, I'm a 71-year-old white male, and when I went to school, there were lots of mirrors of me. Everything in the school looked like me. Everything I read about looked like me. And for those students who didn't look like me, all they were doing is looking through windows. So one of the things we begin to explore is what are the mirrors and windows within the classroom? What books are, what books are children reading? What are the posters in the hallway? Um, as you walk down the hallway, whose pictures are in the hallway? Because it's just as Chitara said, we need to get representation of all of us in those buildings. Uh, to, to enhance the sense of belonging. So I'm just, I just want to back up 
what Tristy was saying, certainly on an administrative level and a system level, but even in the classroom. How do we create mirrors for all of our children uh, through our literature, through what they read, through what they see? Um, those are inventories we can do, and, it, and it's not taking money to do that. Uh, it's just a matter of a diligence to make sure that all of our children can see themselves in school in as many ways as they possibly can. How do you, how do you teach or practice, I guess, that kind of awareness? Because you mentioned about, you know, pictures in the hallway and posters and, you know, because when you're, when you're going to do those things, you're, you're digging through stock art and, and, and posters and you're just grabbing the really the action, right, that you're, that you're looking for. But how do you teach and practice that kind of awareness to be like, hey, I just grabbed seven posters of, of white men. Maybe I should try to get and, and try to get women. You were the, Maybe I you were the weirdest. Get... You were the weirdest teenage boy in the world if that was the posters <laughs> on your wall. I'm just saying that for the record. So, uh, one, of, one of the things I think that is really interesting is that right there, that that you described is absolutely the reason for the stance work before the strategy work. Right. Um, everybody, and I'm, you know, I'm a doer. If you look at all my inventories, I, you know, I want to get to the to the check mark on my list on things, but equity work can't be a check mark on the list or strategy based until the stance work is done, because you may not know to think that you're only looking at whatever kind of posters or whatever kind of clip art, or you may not know to see it until we've done the stance work to be reflective about bias. So. We don't want to hover in the learning reflection stance so long that we're in paralysis and we're not acting, but there is also danger in acting before you spend the time in the reflecting, right? Because, you know, well-intended um, actions may yield bad consequences. Um, I think in this day and age, in the field of education, and even before COVID and, and the um, immense workload that our teachers are, are engaging in and our leaders are engaging in right now. The reality is the easier that we can make it as a system to access resources and tools and make that work easier, the more prevalent it becomes, right? When we are doing a systemic purchase of curriculum materials, let's at the district level have a equity lens by which we evaluate those resources, right? Um, when we put out clip art links, or I don't know, that may not be the best example, whatever <laughs> it is, um, let's, let's make sure that we are looking through things. We're working, um, some of our secondary schools was working with a consultant who had some pages out of, a, out of a children's workbook, which was, to be clear, not one of our workbooks that we use, but she used it as a point of example in which it was to teach the kids to write the letters. So, you know, you know the dotted lines where there's the solid line, the solid line, and the three dots in the middle. You're teaching the kids how to write the letters. And the words were like happy and sad and, you know, excited and angry. And the two parts on the happy and excited were white children and on angry and um, sad or whatever the other negative one both of those images were black children. So those are the kinds of things that if you're not looking for them, you may not see them, but having a system to look for them. So one of the things we know is that we're just kind of at the work where we're wanting to make the shift from, we can't just hover in reflection, now we have to start looking at systems work, right? 
because personal bias exists, but system bias exists too. And that's not R7 system, that's just that systems. Any organizational system has it. So we're looking at a number of ways where is there a protocol that we can um, review significant decisions and ask ourselves systemically, is this decision going to um, adversely impact one of our marginalized groups? And if so, do we need to modify this decision in some way? Um, there's a really good one out of Louisville. I think um, one of Phil's partners mentioned one out of maybe Indianapolis. And yes. it's, we're going to adopt one of those, but beginning to think, just like you're talking about, how do we as a system make it easier for the individual so that they don't have to be looking at each one of their sheets and saying, whoa, both of these negative terms are associated with these black children and these positive terms are associated and all we're doing if we don't, if, if, if we don't do that for our teachers as we're asking them to do more more mental work in which we can do for them. So I, I wanted to, you, you, you actually led me, you segued right into my next question. So that was very go, nice Jason. of you. So I think maybe I'll put you as the new host of the podcast instead of Nick and do that. Well. Oh, I'm going to celebrate now. This all right. Yeah. I've had all, all, right, COVID all time. day. Yeah. He doesn't have to podcast with me anymore. So Phil and, and Christy, I think this is probably more. So you're talking about moving from this st stance to the systemic um, structural pieces. What does the next year going to look like then? What are we What are we doing in, and I, and I realize everything is screwed up because as Nick and I have made for our, our theme for the last six months, COVID ruins everything. Uh, yes. And I know that that, is, that makes this work more of a challenge than it was before. Um, but what is the next, what are the next nine months or year or whatever time frame that we're operating on going to look like from what are we doing? I mean, what are we doing to make that, to start to make that transition? And I would, I would assume disperse the stance work more broadly than the work that you guys have done to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So to answer that second part, that's a real easy question. We were originally going to, um, have three just schools cohorts. Those are the four day multi um, day sessions that um, Phil leads and it's just really amazing. It's deep reflective work. Um, and then summer happened and we know that there were a death of George Floyd. We know that we had a local hashtag that caused heart heartache for us as a district to reflect on. And we knew that we had plans, but we wanted to do more than we had planned. So we went to the Board of Education and they actually doubled the amount of um, just school sessions that we're gonna be able to provide through EEC and provided funding for that. So we now have six just school sessions, which would mean, again, pending COVID and social distancing and all of these things, but we're gonna assume all of that is gonna be okay in terms of what we have planned. Um, by the end of the year, we'll have about 450 of our staff members who have gone through multi-day training with EEC. Now, the hard part was we did shift. Um, flexibility has been, Phil and EEC have been awesome because I feel like every time I'm calling him, I'm like, hey, we need to make a small little change. But um, again, COVID. But um, we ended up pushing all of those sessions into second semester. We felt with starting the year the way that we were academically, it was not in anyone's best interest to have um, staff out of the classroom. We felt like they needed to be in with the teachers if we were either online or virtual or hybrid. And of course, at that point, we weren't even sure. So now we have um, six sessions of, of just schools, but that answers this, the stance question. The strategy, we are working 
to develop a rubric by which we will review all curricular resources and or curriculum. So we say curriculum, but really curriculum is just the learning targets and essential standards. I think what people really think when they say curriculum is, you know, the books, the resources that are in front of them. So our curriculum department is working with me to find a, a rubric by which we can, we can evaluate them, right? Along with that, we're developing a way to um, allow our students to sort of uh, weigh in and say, ooh, that one didn't feel very good. Like the teacher picked this text, and I'm sure they weren't even thinking about it, but it, it didn't feel good in this way and sort of to be able to communicate that back to us for review. Um, and then we are going to develop the learning targets for- uh, Christy, I hate to interrupt you, but you just yeah. asked, you just raised something I, I, I thought we would- Go for it. That right there, the, the moment where a student can, in all honesty, saying, this didn't feel right to me, this was, this was problematic, on whatever front it is. And, and, you know, we'll talk about this, you know, one of the running jokes that I have, um, sometimes on air, mostly off air, is often in our community, people respond more strongly to being accused of being racist than they are to the actual racism that may or may not be happening, that may be happening at that period of time. So, and what my point being is that there's a lot of hurt feeling on the person who is being corrected or, and not even accused of something, but just saying, hey, this thing you did doesn't sit right, right? Shadira, I know that you have, you have felt this before, like talking, you see something and you know that this isn't right, it's got, it's racist, it's biased, it's whatever. And, and I would assume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but you probably had pause. It's like, do I raise this because of the, like the, the emotional throwback from it um, that's there? Phil, maybe you can, you can dial this. How do, we, how do we work with that? I mean, how do we work past that, right? To, to deal with that, that part of it. Because I think to me sometimes that, that is, that's what led to a lot of the, the tumult on the board. And I expect Christy, not to say anything on this at all, but some of the tumult on the board last year, and as well as a lot of the conversations that have gone on in our community, both around the social media tag, all of the, and the events of the last six months. So Phil, answer, fix racism for me. How do we do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, sure. No pressure. Okay, I, you know, I do want to, I do want to talk about that for a minute because I'm afraid we're living in a world right now where we have so many echo chambers and and so many points of view uh, that nobody's really listening to each other. And one of the ways in which the dialogue is and the conversation is silenced is when you even use the term racist. Now that's not to suggest that it isn't behaviors that I could define or describe as racist. Well, we have hundreds of years of pointing out the racist and it hasn't changed anything. And so what our work is about is not about calling out the racist. It's about understanding the oppression of racism. Race, any kind of oppression is not accidental. It's intentional. It has a design. It has a structure, a structure in which we all, most always, unconsciously collude with that structure. I often say to people, look, you didn't invent the oppression. You just arrived. You simply arrived. You didn't invent it, you didn't create it, you didn't construct it, you arrived in it. And until we understand how an oppression operates, how it's sustained, how the architecture of an oppression keeps it all in place, 
regardless of what oppression you want to talk about. We could talk about racism, we could talk about age, sexual orientation, name the ism, and the architecture is the same. So um, yeah, how, how do you confront a, a racist remark? Oftentimes I will say, well, what did you mean? And how do you know? Um, and sometimes that will lead us into a conversation because the best friend of any oppression is silence. We have to interrupt the silence. Um, I coined a phrase about my own life. My own life as a white man living in this country for 71 years has been comfortably numb. The oppression has made me very comfortable in all sorts of ways and oftentimes numb to what's really going on. So Nick, I'll go back to you for a minute and your idea of putting up a bunch of white male posters in the classroom. And you'll never live this down, Nick, by the way, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you'll never live You know, as soon as we all grow some new lenses by which we can see ourselves and others, that wouldn't be a question in your head. You'd look at your classroom and know that, you know, three or four kids are, are biracial, two or three kids are black, um, one or two kids are Native Americans. And right away, you'd be going, oh, I gotta have different posters. I gotta have more posters in this classroom. It really is about how we see ourselves and others. That was a little bit of a long answer to that question. Uh, Charita, jump in there if, if, if I've missed something or, or add something to that, if you so choose. I, I wanna jump in real quick because, and, and I do wanna bring Chidera in on, in, in on this. And I think what you just talked about is a lot of when adults talk to adults. But at what point of this is it to where a student can feel comfortable to say, hey, what you just said, teacher. And, and again, I don't want to, I'm not going to get into specifics, but you brought up, Christy, you brought up the, the, the hashtag, and, and now I'm going to draw a blank what it was, but there was a Twitter hashtag that where lots of stories and allegations were made. But how do you create a, an environment and how do you work with both teachers and students so that at some point a student can go, hey, math teacher, whatever, that wasn't right. Because I don't know what, like I'm, I'm a white guy where a lot of things are pretty easy, but at 17, I wasn't going to tell a teacher they just insulted me. And I can't imagine sitting in Chidera's shoes and then having the courage to say that. Yeah, How do you and get there? That, that burden is disproportionate to our marginalized groups, right? Um, the idea of those microaggressions, um, Phil calls them paper cuts that build up over the day where a paper cut may not hurt um, the first time you get it, but when you've had a thousand paper cuts over the course of a day, you're bleeding. Another um, individual we worked with from an equity perspective called it the difference between mosquito bites and shark bites, right? Nobody, nobody gives much support for a mosquito bite, but where there's a shark bite, there's lots of support. So how do we ensure that it's okay to say, yeah, I know it kind of just looked like a mosquito bite to you, but it's my thousandth mosquito bite today. I would absolutely defer to our student voice, but I think that there are places and teachers for whom that kind of conversation is okay and feels comfortable because of the relationship that's built, right? And then I think there are probably some places where it doesn't feel so comfortable. So what we don't want is for it to matter um, 
whose classroom door you walked in with regard to how comfortable you are in having those conversations. So the more folks that we can as adults go through the stance work, go through the reflective work, and really have some very overt, you know, when there is a microaggression and somebody names it, it very much doesn't have to be personalized to a place of defensiveness. It can very much be a, Phil's group has a strategy in which they call it an oops and an ouch. Oops, I didn't mean to do that, and ouch, that hurts you. I've had a number of conversations in which I found myself saying, largely in groups of all white participants, even if you didn't intend, if it was received or felt, we need to honor that it was received or felt because when it's received and felt over the course of the day, over and over and over again, it doesn't really matter what I intended. We think about that in terms of our relationships with our spouses or our significant others or our friends, right? The same needs to be true with, with, with this. So I don't think there's a magic solution to that, Nick. Some of it is about relationship building. Some of it is about open dialogue and being able to name it. Some of it is about helping our students know when and how to do that in a way that that Phil calls it is calling in and not calling out right no one wants to be called out including a teacher in front of 30 kids right but a student certainly can be equipped to call a teacher into a conversation as well so there there's work to do there I, I absolutely so I am interested in Tadira's perspective on that um, obviously she's in one school but I'm interested in whether that feels universal or teacher by teacher again keeping things pretty general of course Right. And for me, I am, it's kind of hard for me to stand up for myself in general. So to even uh, talk to a teacher about something I perceive them as wrong, something that they did was wrong, is I feel like it genuinely a burden. I remember my sophomore year, we, this was in English class, and we were talking about projects that we had to do, and we were going to record ourselves. And my teacher was talking about how you cannot have any offensive symbols or anything like that. And then one boy said in, in my class, oh, so we can't um, put white capes over our head and poke out holes. Like, obviously, he's referring to the KKK. And I, like, waited for, like, 0.5 of a second to see if my teacher would say anything. And then I just, like, said, like, I, and I was the only black kid in my class, too. So I was like, that is not funny. Like, that is not funny at all. And then my teacher just continued to give instructions. And then after she was done, she took him out in the hallway. And by then, like, it even makes me emotional now to think about. But, like, then I was even, like, in tears because I'm like, how are you going to allow a student who just disrupted the entire class, disrespecting me and I'm the only student there and continuing to give instructions? I think that's really disheartening. And even like talking about it now, it breaks my heart because it's like, I was the only person of color in that class. I'm the only person who can really understand that pain it brings. And there's been multiple instances in like situations at school like that, only about three. And I think it's different for every student still, but. It is extremely difficult for any person to even stand up for themselves in general, but to even try to tell your teacher, hey, you offended me. Like that is, it's a burden. Because there's been instances where teachers have offended me unknowingly. And it's like, do I go and tell you, hey, like what you said is wrong. It's like, okay, what is the teacher? They can do nothing. They can, they can literally do nothing. Sarah, can, can I add to that? Um, Certainly, I'm sorry that happened. I'm very sorry that happened. The, the, the point I'd like to make, though, 
the burden of speaking up should not be on the student's shoulders. That's why this work is so important from the standpoint of a personal journey, uh, recognizing um, new lenses, seeing, seeing our students in a much more uh, ennobled way than we might have, because the burden of these issues should not be on the student's shoulders. That's what we as educators need to admit. And although it's a struggle, we need to take that up because I don't want to see Shadera cry again because of that. Absolutely. And that would be true of our students in our school system and on a larger scale systemically as it relates to equity. The work of equity reform cannot be on the burden of, of the marginalized groups. If the marginalized groups had the power to make the change, they wouldn't be the marginalized groups. So there are lots of folks who wonder about capacity as ally as opposed to a member of a certain group. And ally is a strong role because Ally is a place um, with systemic power that can hear voices and make change. Um, so I think we need to develop school systems full of allies for all of our students and, and also coworkers because that's a reality too. You know, that's, um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in here too because that's one of the joys I have in this work, working with high school students. I've been working with high school students for 15 years. These are students, much like Chudera, they want to know this. They're, they're graduating from Lee Summit High School as global citizens. They're not merely citizens of Lee Summit or any other town they want to live in. Um, they're interested in this work. They want to understand this work. I wrote a program called Finding Voice. We have to let our young people find their voice and we have to learn how to listen to it. They have, they have important information to share with us. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, No, that's fine. No, Actually, that, that, you, lead, you lead to a great question. Chidera, I have a question for you, um, if you're ready to answer one at this yeah. point again. Okay. Um, so you will come back. You're going to graduate this year. So you are unfortunately burdened with some of this work, and, and you will not be here to reap the fruits necessarily uh, instantaneously as you go. But if you come back from college or from whatever your next thing is, in four, four years and five years from now, and you walk in, what do you want to, what is, what does a, a win on this look like to you as a person who's, who's been a student through the process, sort of understands probably better, well, certainly better than anyone on this podcast with you at the moment, but better than the vast majority of people, what this means. What is a, what is a better Lee Summit West, just since that's the building you're familiar with, what does it look like if you were walk in in 2024, 25? Um, I would say there would be definitely more representation within the staff. And then I think you all mentioned earlier, or Christy, I think you mentioned earlier about having that um, rubric that you're going to use for the curriculum. I think by implementing other things that we're learning in history and whatnot, we would see more of that, or I would see more of that. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of give a similar question. I'm, I kind of want to start wrap it, wrapping this up, and I'm gonna go back to you, Phil, since you started it. And this was a conversation before you were actually hired, before the while the board, all the deliberations were still going on, and you alluded it 
to it in, in the opening part here. This is a hard thing to measure. School districts and school boards and administrators all love data, 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 data. Right. Sure. But there isn't a whole lot of data to measure this kind of success. So from your perspective, as you work with, with the Lee Summit School District, as you work with other school districts, I'm going to assume that over the summer, uh, your phone's been ringing a lot more from around the country. Um, but yeah. as, you, as, you, as, you, as you work with these school districts, and specifically with this one, what, what, does, what, what lets you know that there's been success, that you've made, you've helped positive change happen? Well, um, first of all, one must understand that, that educational research isn't built upon causation. In other words, you did this and it got you this. Education research is primarily built upon correlation. What were the factors that perhaps led to this change? Um, so in working with the district over a period of time, you will see changes in the achievement. You will see changes in the achievement because there'll be a greater engagement of students with their own learning. Um, now that isn't going to happen overnight because systems aren't built to change to begin with. But over time, you will see those, that data that we're so accustomed to looking at. But in the meantime, let's start looking at uh, referrals to the office. Let's start looking at suspensions and in-school suspensions. Let's start looking at how students are involved in their schools. Let's start looking at what, uh, what, uh, uh, what clubs uh, that are they participating in. Let's start looking at those kind of subtle ways in which it gives us a sense of our uh, students are becoming more engaged as learners. Let's start looking at the kind of document grade disbursement. Who's getting what kind of grades? Let's start looking at who's in the advanced programs, the AP classes, who's not. Um, those, that's data as well. It's, it's, it's the fuzzy data that doesn't make the front page of a paper, but it is absolutely incredibly important data be, to be watching, uh, to be measuring, to be attending to. Um, and quite frankly, our work is for us to be gone in three years. I, I, my hope, my expectation, the success of our work is that Christy's gonna say, we don't need you anymore, which is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to help create the culture within the building, within the school district. And at some point in time, it's gonna be your culture. It's not gonna be Phil's, uh, it's gonna be your culture. And that's the measure, at least from our perspective, that's something about success. Um, so that, that's kind of a long answer. Christy or, or, or Chidera, I would invite you to add to that. But um, that gives you a sense of, um, you know, sometimes we always attend to an algorithm that gives us data. And, and oftentimes we don't attend to other elements that just as important um, because it doesn't get the front page of a paper. You know, schools can't simply be measured by their scoreboards, whether it's football or language. Uh, schools in Texas would, would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unfortunately, we're not in Texas right now. Amen. <laughs> we'll never be there. <laughs> Well, as, as, um, as a business owner myself, I don't understand the business model of working to get fired. That seems weird to me, but 
<laughs> I understand what you're doing. Um, you, you know, somebody, I, I was telling, telling a, a friend that we were getting ready to do this, this conversation and, and they were asking, they're from outside of the district and they were asking you, what is equity training? What is that? And, and I tried to say, I think it's really, I would sum it up as it's, it's a lot of lessons in, in empathy. And that's kind of become one of my, my favorite words of the past year. And, and Phil, you had some excellent talk about that in your, your presentation to, to the school board. Empathy is a hard, hard word to describe, to get to people, and, and that, that concept of, of, of listening and understanding. Are, are, are you getting there? Are we making progress? We're making um, progress. I've okay. seen it. Let me, let me truly, let me just tell you from the outside in, I've, I've watched with the exception of the first couple that happened before I um, moved into the role in an interim capacity last year. I've been in every training that Phil and EEC has done and, and it's not just Phil, it's his counterparts as well. And what I see is I see people coming in wondering like, what's this gonna be about? Am I gonna feel comfortable? Am I gonna feel uncomfortable? All of those things. There is input, right? We learn a little bit about the history of things and, and structures and we learn about oppression. But where I see you visibly, palpably feel in the room the shift is after we've spent a day or a half a day building, that's kind of a loose word, but building relationship and community in the room. We begin through a structured protocol that Phil and his partners lead to hear, deeply hear, each other's stories. And when you're hearing each other's stories in a group that is a diverse group, it's no longer about the they and the them or the what I've heard about that group or the this group. It's about Nick or Jason or Phil or Shadera or Christy who's right in front of me who I've spent the day with and the reality and the emotion that I'm now hearing as it relates to their story. And you watch the transformation happen because it's people work and they're gifted at it um, because this is people work and there's data. We've got surveys out of what the kids think and sense of belonging. Um, but this change, whether you want to call it empathy or, or what, when I see, I mean, we had a moment actually this past work week in which a staff member said, that activity that we just did was life-changing for me. I will never look at things the same way again. And it was, um, and then it's in that moment where you're like, okay, we need 1900 more of those. Um, but, but the reality is that's the work and it is really hard to measure. We come up with metrics, um, but from an outsider to his work participant, I see it happen over and over and over again. And then people, say, when are we getting our next day with? Because I want more. I'm going I'm to make this my, my, my last question. I'm going to assume that Jason's kind of done too. But um, Shadara, from you and I didn't get to talk a lot coming into this. I didn't give you a whole bunch of, of heads up. Um, bad preparation work on my part. But from coming in at the start of this and now as, you, as you've listened and, and participated, What's your perspective on, on, on the work that's going on? Has it changed um, since we first started this 30 minutes ago? Uh, yes. Mm, I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot there to begin with, but I think it has, 
increased, I would say, is that the right word? Um, I think that I really love the work that all of you are doing and even just, I don't even know, the fact that you said that you want to be gone in three years, that is very heartwarming that you are so dedicated to creating a change within our district and raising awareness to the issues. And I think that's amazing. So it's changed for the better, if not, if anything. Thank you. Fantastic. That's gonna that's gonna wrap up this conversation. Phil, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this: If people want to learn more about about educational equity consultants and, and, and what you do, how can they find you? Can they follow you on social media? We we have a website, EEC for Justice. That's EEC the the number four justice.com. EEC for justice.com. Um, and um, so go there, you'll see a picture of me and, and my partner, Tony Neal, and you'll see all the different kinds of programs. And if you send an inquiry, I always, I always write to people who send an inquiry. And I don't always check my spelling and my grammar, so you'll just have to cringe. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and everyone can follow the school district at LSR7. And I'm going to do another shameless plug for, for Chidera again um, and the, the podcast she's worked on. It's, it is called I Can Relate. And you can find that on most of your favorite podcast apps, along with this one, the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. Phil, Christy, Chidera, thank you guys so much. And thank you for tackling hard work. That'll wrap us up for this time. We'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thanks for having us. Good Thank luck. You. Thank you. Should Shadera, I hope I see you this year. I hope I see you as well. All right, thank you.